0: For many things in life, it takes time and effort before you can see meaningful improvement. But luckily for us, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, and is chef-crafted and ready to go in just two minutes. There are over 35 different options to choose from every week, and it doesn't just stop at lunch or dinner, they also have a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Truly every meal I've had from Factor has been delicious, but most importantly for me, it's beyond easy with no cooking or prep and especially no cleanup. Plus Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved. So I'm saving money and eating healthier even on the days when I don't feel like cooking. If you'd like to get started today and get after your goals, head to factormeals.com slash lightspeed50 and use code lightspeed50 to get 50% off. That's code LIGHTSPEED50 at factormeals.com slash LIGHTSPEED50 to get 50% off. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side? Even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android. Or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective.
1: Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I am Jim Freund, your host. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is When Two Swordsmen Meet by Ellen Kushner, narrated by Stefan Rutnicki. This story is copyright 2015 by Ellen Kushner and was originally published in the anthology Stories for Chip, a tribute to Samuel R. Delaney, edited by Nissi Shawl and Bill Campbell. Our usage is by permission of the author. Ellen Kushner weaves together multiple careers as a writer, radio host, teacher, performer, and public speaker. She began her career in publishing as a fiction editor in New York City, but left to write her first novel, Sword's Point, which was followed by Thomas the Rhymer, which won the World Fantasy Award and the Mythopoic Award, and two more novels in her Riverside series. Ellen Kushner is co-founder and past president of the Interstitial Arts Foundation, an organization supporting work that falls between genre categories. She lives in New York City with author and educator Delia Sherman, a lot of books, airplane and theater stubs, and no cats whatsoever. So, get ready and buckle up, either your seatbelt or your sword. We're going to Lightspeed.
2: When Two Swordsmen Meet by Ellen Kushner Writers who, as it were, fetishize straightforwardness, yes, and see high style as a way to achieve it. That's Sir Thomas Brown's legacy, but not clarity. Samuel R. Delaney 1. When two swordsmen meet, no one knows what to expect. It's a cold night in a cold city. Cold Stone Under Cold Starlight. He walks down a deserted street sure of himself, sure of the weapon he bears. He's not altogether surprised when the stranger steps out of the shadows. Hey, he says to the newcomer, you hungry? I'm going to a friend's with a fire and a big pot always bubbling on it. By which we see that it's not just his sword that defends him, whatever he may think. The other stands very still, "'You're not what I thought you'd be,' he says flatly. "'Why not?' the swordsman asks, curious. "'The way they talk about you. "'I thought you would be all embroidered gloves and studded leather.' "'The swordsman nods. "'He's used to being misunderstood. "'So, are you hungry?' he asks again. "'Not for friends. "'Not for a bubbling pot of stew.' "'Slowly the swordsman nods. "'Fame and glory, then!' studded gloves and embroidered leather. Without another word, he draws, and the other man does too. It's almost too easy. This kid, he can see it's a kid now, is sure of his own moves. He was clearly top dog in all his classes. Good reposts, full of verve and aggression, but he's not always sure how to respond. He should be thinking more about defense. That's something you polish with time. The kid's got his lower lip caught in his teeth, Relax your jaw, the swordsman thinks, but he's not his teacher. Instead, he says, fame and glory, there's no one here to see you. No one will know. Ah, nice move. Thank you. You'll know. More aggression now. The swordsman is having to enlist his own flawless defense, not what he expected. No silks, the kid pants coming at him the length of the cobbles. No leather. Was there something underfoot? "'Too dark to see what it was, or if it was, "'or if it's just a kid who badly needs to win making him give way. "'But the swordsman finds himself on his back "'with his opponent's point at his neck. "'What I want,' the kid says. "'He pauses. "'I don't think the word has been invented. "'Maybe it's not a word. "'He's never been able to be anything other than himself. "'If the kid wants him to die here, that's what will happen.' But he doesn't think that's what the kid wants. When I hear it, I'll know it. You're not it. On his back, he nods his head, submitting, acquiescing, but also asking permission. The other grants it with a similar nod. He reaches into his jacket, pulls out a card, a deuce of lions. Across the corner is scribbled, House of Nine Doors, Kolhari. Here, he tells the kid. Go here. They'll know what to do with you. Strip down, and you'll be shouting more words than you ever knew before. Without a word, the kid takes the card, sheathes his sword, and walks in the direction he wasn't coming from. The swordsman gets up, and without dusting himself off, proceeds to the place of food and friends. 2. When two swordsmen meet, no one knows what will happen. He's thinking of jewels. Which is not surprising since he has them secreted all about his person and secreted is the mot juste. it is a secret a big secret that he has even met with the one who gave them to him they are rumored to be mortal enemies a secret that he has been trusted with them him and only him the idea is that no one could imagine them being transported thus without a cordon of security and that he alone has the requisite skills to ensure they reach their destination anyway. It is well done and neatly thought of. He tries not thinking about jewels, jewels in little pouches sewn into special pockets all over his person, here, there, and everywhere, by a master tailor who knows every trick, so that not a single bulge reveals itself. He whistles a tune he heard a girl sing once, something about sack and sherry he doesn't remember the words but better not to whistle don't want to draw attention on the other hand any implication that he doesn't want to draw attention could draw attention to him this is a city of thieves and he is passing through the higher reaches of the town streets of fancy shops he needs to look like a man without a care like he belongs there no as if he's on his way somewhere pleasant not important a picnic, or drinks with an old friend on the other side of town, just passing through, no jewels, no intention. I gave her cakes, I gave her ale, I gave her sack and sherry. A woman coming from the opposite direction, singing the song he was just whistling. A coincidence? Maybe. He has his eye on her nonetheless. She is small and lithe, gray-eyed and dark-haired. She isn't looking at him, though. She's looking at the shops, their wares laid out on boards elaborately carved and gilded because this is that kind of street, trays of goodies depending from the sides of the shops themselves. When night comes, the display tables will be drawn up as shutters and heavily bolted. Right now, though, they're open and displaying just a fraction of the lovely things inside, each one guarded by a self-important apprentice wielding a heavy baton. His reflexes are too good, When she stumbles, crashes into a board, sending strung pearls and carved lapis tangling to the ground. When the prentice goes for her with his baton, the swordsman throws himself in the way, shouldering the prentice off, letting her grasp his forearm before she can go down. He thinks she'll make a run for it, but to his consternation, she just stands there, looking every bit as haughty as a woman that small can do. "'The apprentice is torn between seizing her "'and catching up all the precious wares "'before anyone else on the street can grab any. "'Here,' she says to the apprentice, "'I'll help.' "'She hasn't apologized for the fall, "'but before too long everything is back up on the boards, "'nested in their velvet as before. "'Count it,' she tells the flustered apprentice. "'It's all there.' "'The swordsman should have gone his way, "'but that would have looked suspicious, so he stays.' "'A little crowd has gathered, of course. "'Should I call the guard?' someone says. "'Count it,' the woman says again. "'Or call your master, if you will, and let him do the work. "'I weary of standing here under the implication of insult.' "'Despite himself, or maybe because of it, the swordsman smiles. "'She doesn't smile back. "'She doesn't even look at him. "'She hasn't thanked him, either. "'It's all here,' the apprentice says at last. "'He nudges a final pearl back into perfect place.' "'Everything is as it should be.' "'She continues to stare at him, "'her grey eyes sharp like steel. "'The unspoken word, and, hangs in the air. "'And I'm very sorry, Miss Milady. "'Finally she smiles, showing good teeth. "'Never mind,' she says. "'A natural mistake. "'It could happen to anybody.' "'The crowd parts to let her pass on down the street. "'Relieved, the swordsman walks on the way he was going.' What an odd woman. He wonders if he'll see her again. He's a bit shaken. This little excitement was not part of his plans. It will take him a while to start whistling again. Especially when he touches one of the secret pockets of the sequestered jewels and finds it empty. There is a small slit in the side. Three. When two swordsmen meet, no one knows what to expect. One of them is bearded, the other clean shaven. Each bears a long and elegant weapon with a surgeon's point and a razor's edge, each hilt a work of art, guards scrolled like the fine script of a legal document. They meet at a crossroads. That is where significant things happen, everyone knows that. Encounters at a crossroads are rarely by chance and never inconsequential. The clean shaven man says nothing, he is slim and young, he draws his weapon for no apparent reason. The bearded man has been around a while. He knows his worth. I don't fight with strangers, he says, and the other says, but you've seen me before. Where? asks the bearded man. In your dreams, the younger swordsman replies. He wears no gloves. His hands are chapped, rough, the veins rising on the back where his right fingers hold tight around the grip. He has a companion, a weedy-looking fellow, dark like a crow, who cradles some kind of funny harp in his arms. The musician stands well back at the edge of the point where the two roads meet and form a V. The bearded man, the dreamer, examines them both. He hasn't seen them in his dreams, or if he has, it was so long ago he is forgotten. But he wants to, from now on. Still, it doesn't do to look weak. Speak first or thrust last, but always maintain the upper hand. I don't want to kill you, he says. Don't, then... The hard-handed man throws back his head, showing off his bare neck, a pillar of light and shadow. But by all means, engage. A playful duel, a duel of skill. The other nods. That's right, a game only. What are the stakes? Let's play for luck. Let's play for memory. The bearded man inclines his head. And him, your friend... When he sees him from the corner of his eye, the strange musician does seem to mean something to him. But how? So young. What does he play for? He plays for love. Some of us do. It's a beautiful fight. They each want the other to win. Not so much duel as duet. Halfway through, the young musician lifts his device and plays. The air is full of the scent of cinnamon, of city streets, of cigarette smoke and diesel fuel, of baking bread and new cut oranges. When two swordsmen meet, no one knows what will happen, but something always does.
1: Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rutnicki reading When Two Swordsmen Meet by Ellen Kushner. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and this podcast is copyright 2019 by Lightspeed Magazine. As a listener to this podcast, you know that we publish it and most of our content for free online. If you don't already support our Hugo award-winning journal, please consider checking out our many options, including ebook subscriptions and recurring patronage via Patreon and Drip. Just visit lightspeedmagazine.com/support. This month's sponsor is John Joseph Adams Books from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, whose feature titles this month are Reentry by Peter Caudron and Gather the Fortunes by Brian Camp. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kate. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed.
0: We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler free. So first time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy. (laughs) Your search is at an (laughs) end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at bufferingcast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.